Dusty and Vince are a good example of generational wealth versus kind of having to go out and earn it yourself. You know, like Dusty was the American dream and he, he clawed his way from poverty to being a millionaire. And Vince also made it, but he had quite the head start from his family's resources. You know, Dusty was able to make a comfortable life for him and his family. Vince owns an entire football league. Like, Dusty started a couple of promotions. Vince owns all of professional wrestling. And I know he doesn't financially own AEW, but he doesn't have to because he lives rent-free in y'all's motherfucking head. You know what we were saying last episode about your writing being so good? (laughs) I'd like to have that stricken from the record, Your Honor, for, for that. Whatever that was, I don't know if that was an argument. I feel like all the writing you did in the last episode, you typed that. You thought about it. <laughs> Maybe have your girlfriend, Spencer, who is a professional writer, look at it. And she was super impressed that you put that together. Where I feel like this was hastily put together on the back of a 100 grand bar uh, candy wrapper. And then you just said it aloud. In the in the middle of that, I I kept thinking about the the Ryback tweet about like you know about Vince's mother. Um, <laughs> oh, I I am not familiar with this. What is what did oh, Mr. Ryback no. say? Oh, I hate the fact that he likes me, <laughs> dude. All right, everyone seems to have a problem with Ryback. I met the man, the nicest wrestler I've ever met. I know. Jake, I don't know why Jake included. This way. I don't know why he needs to be this way. But when you were talking about Vince coming from money and Owens like a football league, I'm like, well, according to Ryback, his mom's a whore. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't come from money. He came from a whore. Uh, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with being a whore. Be a whore. I don't care. But like, it seemed clumsy <laughs> what he was trying to say. I don't know why it needed to be said, but. Yeah, he follows me on Instagram. He was nice to me. I'm he follows Vince. you on Instagram? Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> he follow w- you? No, he doesn't. After my run-in with Carlito, I messaged Ryback and said, hey, thank you for being nice. <laughs> 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 Just thanks for being a nice dude. I appreciate it. So then a few days later, he's like, oh, people think I'm nice. I'm going to type this thing about Vince's mom being a whore. (laughs) Let me change everybody's perception about me. If one person person tells me I'm nice, I'm going to go on on Twitter and say something shitty to get everybody mad about me. Dude, this just happened? Yes. Ryan Reeves, young man, what are you doing? Well, since you're apparently BFFs, I, I won't read the tweet on air because it's quite intense. I've said a third of it. He said Vince yeah, is I mean... a whore. I, that's basically <laughs> the thrust of the tweet. Vince has failed to evolve. Fuck you, old man. Yeah. All right. So listen, two thirds of it's not wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think we're looking for a defense. I think we're looking for a way into the episode. And Tyler, you're getting further away from it. <laughs> All right, we're 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 not talking about the son of a whore. We're talking about the son of a plumber. <laughs> oh. oh, you hurt Tyler and his Mountain Dew heart. <laughs> All right, hello. Uh, 
And welcome to the season finale of uh, Ten Bell Pod. I'm Nick Alexander, joined now for ten episodes by Tyler Wood. Thank you. <laughs> we are, of course, joined by a man that has wined and dined on berries and leaves and slept in tents and fished from streams, Mr. Ten- <laughs> Mr. Tensumi Kampanami himself, the Man Scout Jake Maddie. That is... Fucking incredible right there. Here is your award for great writing, and I'll hand it right back to you. Put that on your mantle where you had it before. Just find the dust circle and then put it back right on top of there. All right. Shed, anything before we start? No, I, I think we're good. Let's, uh, let's get into the common man. So when we left off on part one, Dusty had just had his first house show match with the WWF. Following Dusty's house show debut, Dusty would make his TV debut, at least regionally, wrestling Million Dollar Man on NESN, I believe is the uh, Northeastern Sports Network, airing in the Northeast, June 3rd, 89. Different promotion, same over as fuck, and I watched this match, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think Bruce Pritchard's talked a lot about like you know Dusty coming in and having his conceptions on what Vince is going to do to him and didn't know what it was going to be. I mean, putting him in right away against like the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, it makes sense. You know, you're trying to thrust him as the everyday man, the common man against the million dollar man. I mean, that's just great. A classic, easy booking and wrestling the million dollar man in 1989. I mean, how incredible was that? That's great. And I'm sure at the same time, too, Ted's probably like, I'm wrestling the American Dream Dusty Rose on television. I, I mean, great dance partners, fantastic, just makes the most sense, and tremendous all the way around through and through. It's really amazing, too, to think about now that he's gone to the WWF here. It's a big parallel between him and his, his son, Cody, with the amount of shit talking that was done about Vince McMahon <laughs> and the WWE for them to both go, actually... I need some money. And then immediately going there, uh, it will really become full circle if Cody does get given another shit gimmick. Are you one of those people that were like, lay off Cody, he's got to feed his family. Like, you're not one of those no. people, were you? Like- no, no, I went, oh, he he's a carny. Like, let's, at this point, I feel like that's, it's it's go where the money is. I, to I, me, I don't it's really... more, more about uh, go whoever's going to make you a star, which I think that's what Dusty was thinking, that, like, you know, I've conquered every mountain, but here's the WWF. It is risen to the biggest mountain, and let's see if I can go conquer it. I think it's more ego than it is money, personally. Okay, that's a fair point. And similarly, I do think Cody's probably set on money. Um, oh, no, yeah, I, I think what he's doing now is straight ego, which there's nothing wrong with that. More power to you if you want to prove that, hey, you let me go and I was a nobody. I have now come back as a star. And if he gets one world title reign out of all this, he's now justified and proved his point. Yeah. I think it's he wanted to headline WrestleMania, didn't he? Yeah, but I I think it's more of like a seen as a world champion, a main eventer, all of those things, whatever that Mm -hmm. comes with it. And. I have yet to see him on WWE television because I think it's so fucking unwatchable. Like, I can't. I agree with you completely. I will say his first promo was was good. I did see that. I'm sure it was. He's a great promo. And if you just leave him to be and let him talk, yeah, he's he's great. But we'll see. Much like with Dusty's journey 
up north. Yeah, it had a few different turns in it that probably Dusty wasn't expecting, and a lot of things were like, oh no, we're doing this to make you more colorful, or we're doing this because we think it will work better for you, when really, like, it's more of an obstacle, or it's like, you know what, you're too southern wrestling for us, or hey, we want to fuck with you because we can, because you talk shit about us. It, yeah, is that's it, it. Well, I don't, see this thing, I don't, I don't lean towards the pettiness. I lean more towards the stupidity factor, my opinion. Vince I McMahon think it, hired a fake Razor Ramon. <laughs> uh, I think he was gullible enough to think that he could just put anybody out there as opposed to, I want to prove that I own this. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but at the same time, too, I think he knew what he was doing was stupid, and I think he didn't care. Mm-hmm. I think what they did with Dusty, like... I think they genuinely thought it was a good fucking idea because they saw Dusty as a clown. Mm. I think I think they saw him as this guy with a lisp and dances around and talks this way. They saw it more of a joke as a comedy and not a, as a serious wrestler. That's why like mm-hmm. polka dots made sense to them as opposed to oh no, this guy said shit about us on a program. Let's dig it to him. I feel like it was more of a situation of they did not view him as anything serious and they they laughed at him before and now and then so i do think dusty lived in vince's head to an extent too because virgil ted dibiase's manager that was a rib on dusty's real name yeah i mean i there there are those things for sure like I said, we're trying to get in the head of a crazy fucking billionaire. Completely and his, fair. And, and his yes men. Yes. Um, I don't want to be all Dave Meltzery and other fucking podcast people and report our assumptions to be fact. This is us talking about what we think and what we've seen and what we observe. Also, for me, I like to play a bit more devil's advocate because I feel like sometimes we assume things that I a lot of times when I see things that are reported and stories that are passed around like this I feel like the people that reported them make the biggest details out of nothing and don't make enough of a big deal out of some of the smaller things that happen as I've learned as I work for a major wrestling company that travels every week and produces television every week as I've learned the thing that they're hung up on on the internet is nothing and was not real and was just an accident it wasn't anything intentional and then the things that they care to just not even see right in front of their face it's laughable like you didn't see that this how big of a deal this was i see it every week i see it all the time i see it in reporting i see it on twitter all the time and i and i would venture to believe that's been going on for years and us as fans we've heard the the narrative that's been put out through insiders quote unquote and treated it as fact when now that i've been in the other side of it and seen in insiders quote unquote report things that are wildly incorrect or wildly exaggerated i would venture to believe that some of the things that we saw at this time were this so that's why i like to present a different opinion when we talk about these things but also at the same time too we are trying to get in the head of a crazy person with a shitload of fucking money and we will never understand what his motivations were for Dusty during this entire run. Correct. We'll never know what Ted Turner was thinking. But <laughs> I will say, I do think that they, they, like you said, they viewed him as a clown. But my main takeaway from Dusty's run here is that they didn't do him any favors and they didn't 
see I don't think they saw that he could maybe get this over as big as he did and he did it. Yeah, and I think they really forgot how big of a star he was when he was in there with Superstar Billy Graham. Like I don't know where Vince was in his life. Oh, or... he was there. Dusty cut a promo with Vince holding the fucking mic, so he he felt that in first person. Well, then that makes it just even more absurd, you know? Yeah. Like like you did not you didn't see that as a thing. But at the same time too, he's like telling Dick Slater to wear the rebel flag and calling him the rebel Dick Slater. <laughs> he's just doing that to everybody. But was he pulling a rib on Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Blair when he's like, you're the killer bees and you're put masks on and switch? Or he's like, oh no, I need something that can be put on an action figure. Mm. You know, he did that to everybody. He saw everybody as a cartoon character almost in a sense. And every, everybody was a clown. It wasn't so much like, oh no, just Dusty. I think he viewed everybody as a clown that he could dress up in whatever costume you know, some, he wanted. A star face paint, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. So... Upon his debut, Dusty would get some vignettes first coming June 3rd on Superstar, showing Dusty doing some common man shit, like delivering pizzas, he is shoveling literal horseshit, pumping gas, he's uh, being a garbage man, and of course some literal toilet humor when he was a plumber. And at the risk of turning hill here, uh, I fucking hate all these. I think they're all terrible. <laughs> I love that Vince McMahon's idea of the common man, like, you know, like pumping gas. That's what common people do. Like, I have never pumped gas before. Like, obviously plumbing makes sense, but pumping gas, going to the grocery store, taking out the trash, you know. Common man shit. Not like worldly individuals like myself. I bet he wipes his own ass. <laughs> Dusty would make his nationally televised debut July 22nd on Superstars. Following a Big Boss Man squash match, Dusty ran in and stole Big Bubba's nightstick before he could hit the job guy with it. And then he danced in the ring to quite possibly the greatest pro wrestling entrance song of all time. His national in-ring debut came August 13th on an edition of Wrestling Challenge. I think this is the one against Barry Horowitz. By now, he's in full-blown polka dots. Speaking of Barry Horowitz, at the time that we were recording this, I am just coming off my dark taping where I was doing a job for AEW. And guess who the fuck was at the taping? Barry fucking Horowitz. Here I am trying to be AEW's Barry Horowitz, and then here is living, breathing Barry Horowitz right in front of me. It was the eeriest thing I've ever seen before in my life. You learn anything from him? We were talking about the old Charlotte territory and all the spots, and we were talking about Sweet Hansen's Bar. Of course, me talking about it as if I actually had been there. I know history, even though I was not alive to experience it. I am well aware of it and understand it. As opposed to, sorry, uh, I was born in 1994, and if it didn't happen in 2003, I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you for matching the voice on that one, Tyler. I appreciate it. Oh, I don't, I don't sound anything like that, Jake. I don't know why you're doing that voice. <laughs> After stealing Bossman's nightstick, they went on a big old house show run together. Dusty even beat him on August 21st edition of primetime wrestling then dusty would make his wwf premium live event debut at 89's SummerSlam, where he beat the honky tonk man 
And backing up to this boss man feud, it's it's very funny because I think we talked about this with the the boss man episode is that Dusty was the guy that got over boss man when he was Big Bubba Rogers and Crockett and the legendary story of Dusty trying to put over Big Bubba Rogers by busting a wood chair over his head and have him no sell it and like leave his hat on and sunglasses. And Dusty just took this wood chair and just bashed it over Ray Trailer's head. He no sold it. The hat stayed on, the glasses on. And Dusty goes up to um, Klondike Bill, who is the ring guy who, you know, would get the gimmicks together if they needed to or gimmick things up. And Dusty goes, hey, Thanks, Klondike Bill, for gimmicking that chair. And Klondike Bill's like, oh, I didn't gimmick that. That was a real chair. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot to do that. Sorry. So there's Ray Trailer taking a full-on actual live folding chair right over the head and no-selling it. Following SummerSlam, it was more Big Boss Man leading to the introduction of Sapphire on the Built to Survivor series, who we discussed, I guess, two episodes ago now. She would be ringside at Survivor Series, which was on November 23rd, 89, where Dusty led the Dream Team with Brutus, Tito Santana, and Red Rooster against the enforcers of Bossman, Honky Tonk, Rick Martel, and Bad News Brown. This is the Survivor Series where all the wrestlers in the intro of the, the show say what they're thankful for. And Dusty says he's thankful for his polka dots. So I don't think it was a rib because he wouldn't have said that if he didn't really mean it. Or he me- or he really meant it. Uh, and that was more of a shout of like, I love my polka dots, baby. And just felt like, I think this is the biggest piece of bullshit of all time. <laughs> I mean, you sitting here, you seeing this black with the yellow polka dots on it. All I'm seeing is green, baby. That's all I'm seeing. <laughs> Team Dusty gets the win. Brutus and Dusty outlast uh, the boss man. And as we mentioned on her episode, Sapphire would eventually wind up in the ring, dancing with Dusty and becoming his manager as the common man and the common woman toured the country, taking on boss men at house shows. Dusty was breaking off to beat job guys on TV, even stopping by January 3rd, 90s, Saturday night's main event to get a double count out draw against ravishing Rick Rude. And I love Dusty. And sometimes wrestlers are not the best narrators of the story. (laughs) I'm just going to say that sometimes they probably just should leave it to the most objective party there is. I went back and researched for this podcast. I went back and watched the WWE produced American Dream DVD documentary piece that came out, I believe, in 2005, 2006. And I highly recommend you not watch that. How about that? We don't watch that. Uh, that. That is not great. I remember at the time thinking he was really good. No, it is not good. <laughs> I know he was meaning it as a term of endearment, but it just came off as weird and odd. He kept talking about his time with Sapphire. I'm like, it was a better place. You know, you know she came here like you got, you got this, this woman off the street and he's a hooker. And you got this hooker in the ring dancing. And you got this male hooker and he in the ring dancing with her. And they're dancing and two hookers just dancing in the ring. I was like, call this poor woman a hooker? (laughs) Wait, he saw himself as a hooker? (laughs) Exactly. And that's the other thing that made it even weirder. Like, I was like, you called the sweet woman, Sapphire, a hooker on your DVD. And then you called yourself a hooker. And then the other thing that sticks about that DVD was talking about his time with Dick Murdoch. And he goes, many a nice and Texas roadhouses, gin joints, and seedy bordellos. 
And I just had the phrase, Cidi Bordellos, stuck in my head for like this entire week. Does he mean Texas Roadhouse, the restaurant, or does he mean like Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> I think Texas Roadhouse. Okay, I like, got God, you. it'd be fucking funny to see Dick Murat's <laughs> no, just a Texas Roadhouse. I've tried to eat at a Texas Roadhouse. The lines are way too long, so I can only imagine how Dick Murdoch and a drunk Dusty Rhodes would have fucking handled that situation. Daddy, you should have seen us. We were out there at the Cracker Barrels, the Texas Roadhouses. You name it, the Bob Evans. We did it all, Daddy. Cody had this thing with the young bucks. He's going around the Cracker Bell. I said, Cody, no. I said, nay, baby. Nay. You need to be heading over to Texas Roadhouse. Me and old Dickie used to go there and drink so much Coors Light. You take the penis and you throw them on the floor, baby, and just stomp them down with your Cabo Bouton. Oh, Daddy, you're talking about the penis on the floor. I believe that's a Logan's Roadhouse, Daddy, not a Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> no, it's both. The Texas Roadhouse has got the it's penis both, on the daddy. floor. Yeah, they're both. Daddy. I didn't know Logan's Roadhouse had peanuts like that. I was the only Texas Roadhouse. We're getting in the weeds here, Daddy. Let's get back to that. <laughs> we get in the chain restaurant, baby. This is a deep discussion. What is your Applebee's order, baby? Mine is I order a two for 20, and it's solely for me, Daddy. That's what we do. Every steakhouse is an Outback Steakhouse when you take a lady out back and you stay with some, Daddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I want to clean up that it is... 2022 we do not say hooker we say premium live sex partner (laughs) (laughs) i stand corrected (laughs) thank you daddy 1990 would be dusty's first royal rumble experience tossing out macho man and bret hart before getting put out by earthquake lasting just over 18 minutes but before the rumble match there is a big scuffle We talked about this on Sapphire's episode. uh, A big scuffle between Sherry, Sapphire, Macho, and Dusty. Setting up the Dream's next feud when Brother Love and Sherry were picking on Sapphire. She slaps Sherry. Macho Man runs out. Dusty runs out. And the four would start working towards a match at WrestleMania. On the build to WrestleMania 6, Dusty and Macho worked the house show loop, even getting in some mixed tag matches with Dusty and Sapphire taking on Macho and Sherry. At WrestleMania 6, Dusty and Sapphire beat Macho and Sherry with a little help from Elizabeth. After, you know, the 90s and 2000s, this is less meaningful. But Dusty had to be one of the first five-ish guys to work both a WrestleMania and a Starcade at this point. Can you think of many others? Hmm. At this point, I'm trying to think if it's a good question. Because you got to think about, like, Powers of Pain, the Road Warriors. Didn't Bob yeah. Orton work the first WrestleMania? Some of those early Starcades, they just kind of like they wash together. Yeah, you know, like yeah, like you know what? There's Black Bart's on this card. So is Paul Jones managing something. Boogie Woogie Man shaking his ass against somebody. Like I'm gonna be very honest. Like considering I've been living in the Carolinas for like. 16 years now there is a large gap when it comes to jim cracker promotions into wcw knowledge that i've never really like filled in it all seems like a jumbled mess for wwf since i lived it so much like i could tell you almost every single match of wrestlemania until you can start getting to like the 12s and the 13s or 
then it gets to a kind of a point of like, hey, multiple choice, which WrestleMania is this? And I can pretty much kind of do that till about 2022. 20, and then after that, it kind of falls off when you start. That's where I pick up. 30s. That's, <laughs> that's where you pick up. Where, like, my, my WWF knowledge is pretty strong. And some of my earlier, like, 2000s knowledge of stuff that I experienced and remember vividly or stuff that I was there for, it's very good. But some territory stuff I can really wrap my arms around where Crockett always seemed very big and vast and could never fill it all in. But I'm just trying to think of guys that probably would have done both. And I think Orton might have been one. Steamboat. Yes. I wikipedia it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Piper. Demo- Demolition. Yeah. Piper Valentine. That's just the first arcade. Following Mania, it was more the same for Dusty, working house shows against Savage, breaking off once in a while to be an enhancement guy on TV. Dusty would face Macho Man once again at 90 SummerSlam, but on the build-up to SummerSlam, Sapphire had begun getting mystery gifts, and it was revealed at SummerSlam that it was indeed the Million Dollar Man, and he had lured Sapphire away with gifts and money. Distraught and distracted, Dusty was attacked by Macho Man. He makes a small comeback, but Macho pops him with Sherry's loaded purse, and it is game over for Dusty. Sapphire, how could you? (laughs) I knew you was a premium sex worker. (laughs) (laughs) Following SummerSlam, Dusty was back to feuding with Ted. They would eventually get to a match at 90's Survivor Series. And it was around Survivor Series-ish that Dusty received an offer to go back to WCW as head booker. He let Vince know that he was leaving, and Dusty, who had been almost undefeated at this point in his WWF run, would uh, start putting guys over on the way out. Dusty and the Million Dollar Man would head to 90 Survivor Series, where it was the Dream Team with Dusty, Bret Hart, Jim, Neidhart, and Coco Beware against the Million Dollar Team of Ted, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Honky Tonk, and a mystery partner. Before the match, Ted gets on the mic and introduces The Undertaker. So pretty cool that, like, Dusty's there for the debut of Undertaker. And the gobbledygooker, right? (laughs) No, not in the... Let's see. No. I thought it was the same one. I'm probably wrong. Oh, yeah, because Piper was on commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look at you. Look at Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I know the gobbledygook. I'm not even going to look at Jake. I already know he's pissed. <laughs> I don't, you don't know Robert Gibson, but the gobbledygook. <laughs> the gobbledygook. Oh, yeah, I the gobbledygook. I know that. Cause, you know, there's, like, these websites talk about shit things that happen, and I love these BuzzFeed articles <laughs> and shit on WF. That's my, that's my wheelhouse there. But it comes to wrestling history and knowledge. I don't know what you're talking about. So, obviously, the debut of The Undertaker is a very epic thing, but I wanted to point this out. It's crazy how The Undertaker in real life turned out to be, like, this far-right kind of Trumper, a borderline QAnon guy. And even the most liberal wrestling fans are like, come on, (laughs) this is The Undertaker. Like, I blocked my family members for believing the same thing The Undertaker does. And then, you know, we all still cried at his Hall of Fame speech. Nick, are you stupid? He's a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, are you stupid? (laughs) (laughs) All right, never mind. (laughs) Thought everybody knew he was a zombie. (laughs) Just kind of 
you know, going over the first ever Undertaker moments here. Taker starts out against Bret Hart. He hits him with like this weird choke slam clothesline. What a maneuver. Anvil's the next one to try Taker. He gets slammed. And then Coco Beware takes the first ever Undertaker tombstone for an elimination. Not towards the hard camera, though. Opposite hard yeah. <laughs> cam side. Still bothers me to this day. We wrestle on. Dusty takes on Hammer. He gets some million-dollar man action. And then Dusty takes on Undertaker, who beats Deadass. He's tossed out to the outside. Brother Love starts kicking him. He starts fighting back Brother Love. That draws up Taker. He gets counted out. We eventually get down to Brett versus Ted. Uh, Ted gets the win. And I just wanted to point this out because this is a Survivor Series match. The referee was Earl Hebner. Just saying, the long con is in. Hey everyone, it's Nick from Tim Bell Pod, and I just wanted to say that the only reason I did this podcast was for the money. And I hope each and every one of you goes straight to patreon.com slash Pod, where you can help support the show. There you'll find shirts with our new logo, a bonus content tier, you can even just support the show for as little as $1. And of course, that's assuming you stupid hicks from Insert Hometown can't afford a dollar. Ah, thank your favorite sports team sucks. And if you got a problem with it, you can find me at patreon.com slash 10 On the way out the door, Dusty lost a ton. Ted, Rick Martell, Virgil, Sergeant Slaughter. But in all fairness, like most of them weren't on TV. The Dusty DiBiase feud would end at 91's Royal Rumble, where Dusty teamed up with his son Dustin to take on Virgil and DiBiase. This is the start of the Virgil Ted split up. Ted gets a cheap kind of roll up pin to win this for his team but then after virgil turns face by hitting ted with the million dollar championship and it is low-key one of the biggest pops in pro wrestling history it's fucking insane standing ovation for good old virgil i mean it's years in the making like slow cooked for years and people wanted to see that happen also too this is to talk about dusty and dustin at this time Dustin was trying trying to do a lisp like his dad. It's very uncomfortable because I don't know whose idea that was. I don't know if that was Dusty's idea or Dustin's idea or or, or what, but it wasn't good. And (laughs) I I think all parties involved, whether it was their idea or not, would be like, yeah, shouldn't have done that. That was bad. (laughs) But Dustin was such a freaking natural in the ring. He's the natural. Yeah, he's the natural. But, like, man. He was so good, even at this young age. Yeah. Just now, Dustin. Let me tell you, a lift ain't gonna get you over, Daddy. It's gonna be a stu- a stu- a stutter, Daddy. That's what's <laughs> gonna get you over. <laughs> oh man, I have this written down. <laughs> I'm probably gonna edit this out. I don't know why I wrote this, but <laughs> I just randomly in this Dusty Rhodes script have Joe Rogan is today's Hulk Hogan because he's a loud white guy with a video of him saying the N-word, screaming about working out and vitamins. I don't know <laughs> why this is in here. Why'd you put this in here? <laughs> I don't know. Did you just hide that? You're like, this is this is for Hogan when he goes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know what I was thinking. Or was your next thing like, well, let me explain to you why Joey Diaz is the Dusty 
Rhodes of comedy. <laughs> like, oh, is that dude. the next one we're going? Oh, man. That's, I mean, is that the argument here? Good morning, cocksuckers. <laughs> well done. Well done. I know. I was waiting for you to drink a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew so, so I get you to spit that out. Tell me. <laughs> My podcasting fuel. <laughs> Dusty went back to WCW in 1991 as a member of WCW's booking committee, making his first appearance only 11 days after the Royal Rumble. And this gets hard to talk about because it's so behind the scenes and stuff, but apparently there was a huge power struggle between JR, Dusty, and that pizza-pushing son-of-a-bitch Jim Hurd. Pizza pussy, you got it right. That's what said. <laughs> Can't wait to try the new Little Caesars pizza pussy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's why he got fired. He tried to do that pizza pussy, <laughs> and PepsiCo was like, "Hold up, <laughs> he can't, can't be doing that." But don't worry, wrestling might have you. <laughs> Uh, the, and all of a sudden, like, Ted Turner was like, pizza pussy. Ah, that's what I call Jane at late nights of the hours at, at the CNN Tower. Ah, get over your little pizza pussy. What are you, <laughs> protesting the Vietnam War? That shit's been over for 10 years. <laughs> Apparently, there was also kind of a little bit of a riff between Dusty and Rick as far as booking. It just seems like a lot of drama when Dusty came in. I, I'm sure he wanted his reins back, you know, to be the man behind the scenes again and then they had a whole committee at that point well and there's always been stuff between rick and dusty i mean as we we've said in part one rick looked up to dusty and then they were equals but then you know dusty still got an ego about himself and rick's got an ego about themselves and dusty with his position of being a booker wanted to do assert his dominance and of course, Rick doesn't want to follow anybody's fucking rules. May it be a booker or the federal government. He doesn't <laughs> want to abide by anybody's instructions on what you should do or what a common and decent person should do. Um, Did you say common? Yes. <laughs> Just a common man. <laughs> exactly. And there are certain like things that you're supposed to get as the champion and kind of one other thing that's like kind of uh, out of respect is that they would record the tbs show that would air at 605 they would record that very early in the morning live to tape saturday morning at techwood drive studios so guys would like be coming in from wherever they're at the night before it doesn't make a difference if it was Greenville, South Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, wherever. You got to be at Techwood Drive at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. or whatever it is. And you're going to record live to tape. So it airs at 6.05 p.m. So you can't mess anything up. They can fix a few things, but not much. So it's live to tape. And kind of out of respect, you don't ask the world champion to wrestle at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday because he's probably got to wrestle at the Omni that night or he's got to wrestle in charlotte or he's got to catch a flight to get to raleigh or norfolk to wrestle in a main event that night so you kind of just want to have him cut a promo and loop the tapes around and promote for the next week well dusty wanted to prove that he's the fucking boss and he made rick wrestle at nine o'clock in the morning for these tapings and Rick was pissed the fuck off about it. He's like, how do you do this? What's the rationale behind this? And he's just like, 
You gotta have the champion on TV. People gotta care about you. They gotta see you every once in a while. You know, instead of just see you at your house shows. And Rick was pissed and wanted to fucking prove a point. And that led to my trainer's biggest moment in his career. Because once Rick found out he was wrestling, obviously he could pick any one of the enhancement talent. He goes, give me George. Give me George South. And walked up to George and said, I'm making you look like Steamboat this morning. And went out there and wrestled through a commercial break. Full on, like, George thought, okay, we're in commercial, we get to take a break. And nope, Flair just kept on going through. And George always famously said he, like, he didn't, like, go for a crossbody and then get wrapped up in a figure four. He fell off the top rope. And he tapped up before he was in the figure four. But it was all to Rick to prove to Dusty, like, oh, you're going to make me wrestle in the morning? Well, guess what? I'm going to have a better match than you'd ever have <laughs> with one of the enhancement guys. But, of course, Rick was stacking the deck and knew he was stacking the deck because yeah, he knew George, George could go. But to the fans, he's George South. But he wanted to prove, like, oh, I can make anybody look good. Don't worry, Dust. You want a match? I'll give you a fucking match was kind of what that was, which led to the biggest moment in my wrestling trainer's career and something that he's made money off of and talked about. It's the biggest thing that ever happened to his career and the most talked about and remembered thing in his entire life. But that was all a power struggle between Dusty and Rick. There was always little things like that and trying to outdo each other and even little things George would talk about how George would would go to Price's Chicken Coop, which is no longer anymore. Because of fucking condos. But back in the day when they'd be filming something like promos in Charlotte, you know, at a TV station just for it to go out to everywhere, the guys would get lunch and the full horsemen, when they go get lunch, like George would go get the lunch. And of course, they'd be like, oh, hey, kid, why don't you get me a chicken box as well, too? Here's a $10 tip. And then tell they were like, well, here's a $15 tip. And then Arn be like, well, here's a $25. <laughs> and they keep going up. And then even like Dusty be like, Here's a $50 tip, baby, because I'm a bigger star. I can do this. George's like, I made more money getting chicken boxes than I did ever wrestling. <laughs> you know, like there, there was always things like that where they're trying to compete and they were always trying to like who had a better watch and who, who had a better car. All these things. There was all these competitions to prove who's bigger, who's better, who's got the best this. And Rick and Dusty always had that competition between the two. And those things are healthy. But obviously... Dusty being the boss, like it, it, it only goes so far. So in Dusty's mind, he goes, well, I should win because I'm the top thing. And when the owner or Ted or those people get behind Dusty and you're like, Flair, you got to do this. Well, Flair's going to do something that uh, breaks a legal, legally binding document. So that's usually what ends up happening and how he handled the situation. God, I miss Price's Chicken Coop. Sorry, yep. I know that was like not the takeaway from that, but <laughs> as soon as you said that, I felt it in my heart. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Yeah. It's gone, folks. So many great, great restaurants are gone in Charlotte. Don't worry. Greenville's got a lot of good ones. <laughs> With Dusty going back to WCW after that amount of time, if I'm doing my calculations correctly, Cody should get the book at AEW around uh, early 2024 at this point. <laughs> We'll see. see. I'm going to isolate that and keep it and see what happens. (laughs) This episode of Tin Bell Pod is proudly brought to you by the all-new Pizza Hut Pizza Pussy. That's right. You no longer have to worry about dinner after a long day with the all-new Pizza Hut Pizza Pussy. If it's good enough for Jim Hurd and Dusty Rhodes, you can rest assured that the brand new Pizza Hut Pizza Pussy will be good enough for you and the entire family. Thanks for listening. 
As far as on screen, Dusty did a little bit of managing, being in the corner of Ron Simmons from 91 to 92. And Dusty was even there when Ron won the WCW world title August 2nd, 92, by beating Big Ol' Vader. You mean Ol' Leon? Leon. <laughs> Dusty made his in ring return nearly a year after uh, being absent. January 4th, 1992, at this uh, WCW New Japan Super Show, teaming up with Dustin. They would beat Masa Saito and Kim Duck in Tokyo, Japan. In 92, Dusty joined the broadcast team, usually working with Tony Schiavone on Saturday nights. He'd team up with Schiavone and Heenan on WCW's PLEs. This led to such iconic lines as, He's got a bicycle! And I once killed a bear with an open hand strike to the face. This is where I mostly know Dusty from. When I got into my fandom, like I remember a little bit of him dancing in polka dots as a child, but I never connected the two. And then like wrestling went away from me because we didn't have cable. And then we finally got direct TV and Dusty was a commentator on WCW Saturday night. And sometimes I would miss the beginning where you would have Tony Schiavone standing up with Dusty Rhodes and it, they'd be there on camera and then they were just a voice. And then I never connect the two, two years later. I'm like, oh, it's the polka dot guy. Because that's the thing, uh, me growing up in such a stronghold of WWF, it was all like, that's the polka dot guy. Or Ric Flair is the oldest Ricky I know because when he came to WWF, I thought that was his rookie year. No idea that he had this storied career before then because he was in WWF, so that's all I knew. But yeah. This is where all of the Dusty Rhodes-isms, you could dig them up at any moment in time. I think there was even like a Twitter account that was just quotes of Dusty on commentary <laughs> just coming up with something silly to say every single week. Much in the same sense of like Excalibur and Taz for Dark, just some of the weird and silly things because you're seeing four tapings back to back and sometimes little or no sleep or you're doing it in a post and you're just trying to get through it and you just you're trying to entertain yourself at some point in time because all the matches are just blurring together and so we get classic dusty hey jake that's kind of like our old days uh calling matches you and i <laughs> you mean the six of them that we called <laughs> together yeah a few of them and uh I, we ran into a guy i did one where we did one for and uh i didn't know why he knew me <laughs> oh yes uh, I think it was Elijah Proctor yes it was he goes oh Tyler Wood you're a comic right no and dude Tyler Wood in a match yeah I reacted to him taking a mask off and he goes oh yeah stand up comedy funny man <laughs> and I was like how the fuck does he know that yeah and then like you, you talked a little bit at the merch table and then Tyler like once Elijah Proctor walked away, Tyler's like, oh, I must be doing really well in comedy. I'm really famous. <laughs> people know people know who I am. I go, why don't he knows who you are? Because you've done a commentary on his match before. And he's probably looked you up. And that's when Tyler, like, shrank. <laughs> it's it priceless. I loved it. I wish I could have bottled that and keep that and open that whenever I needed it. Oh, uh, Nick, I have a small note for you. If you're going to do the quote, can you do the whole quote about the bicycle? Do it. He's got a bicycle. I don't know where the child was that was a riding it, but he ain't a riding it no more. Uh, yeah, I love Dusty on commentary. <laughs> Early 93, Dustin won the U.S. title, and this led to Dustin having a little feud with the Assassin and eventually Paul Orndorff, and led to Dusty getting uh, kind of back in the ring here for a little bit. 
Dusty would have his second match in this run of WCW when he teamed up with Dustin to get a DQ win over Terry Funk and Buckhouse Buck at Clash of the Champions 28. Yeah, and I remember them playing the promo like on Dusty's like WWE release where it was like, now all I need from you, baby, is just a hug and a kiss to seal the deal, baby. Like, <laughs> I've had that in my head all week too. It's just... But that's just the miracle of Dusty. Like I got in my head not because it's like corny or silly, because like oh, it's kind of emotional. It's it's good, but he has that ability to pull that emotion out of people. You know, like get my son, goddamn it! Like <laughs> I just need to come over here and just get seal it with a hug and a kiss. <laughs> just it's beautiful. It's priceless. It's it's people that that have that ability to pull that emotion, no matter what your age is like through generations through decades through different roles and places no matter what the situation is i mean that's what makes him one of the all-time great talkers in the business ever dusty would also team up with the nasty boys and dustin to beat uh buck arn anderson terry funk and rob parker in a war games match at fall brawl 94 and this would be a last on-screen match for Dusty until 1998. He would mostly just hang out doing creative and announcing. He was there for the NWO, always taking the side of WCW, at least until 1998 sold out. Dusty walked down to the ring with Larry Zabisco for his match against Scott Hall. Larry won by a DQ when Louis Spicoli interfered. Dusty comes in, he pops Louie with some elbows, then Zabisco grabs Hall, just waiting for Dusty to come in with the elbow, but Hall ducks, he hits Zabisco, but it was not on accident. Behind Dusty's buttoned-up-to-the-top denim shirt were NWO colors, and uh, man, I hate myself for how much I fucking love this. I I love the entire Larry Zabisco-Scott Hall feud. This is my shit. Really? Because I, this for me was like, all right, I'm done with this shit. Like, I kind of, like, I like Dusty and, like, everybody was joining the NWO. And I'm like, really? You're going to put Dusty in here? And I felt like if you join the NWO, you have to bring something to it. Like Scott Steiner, when he went to the NWO, you're bringing something to the table. Where I'm like, all right, Dusty's part of the NWO. Well, is he going to be the same Dusty I like on commentary anymore? Where does that fit now? You know, now you just took away something I liked, which was Dusty on commentary talking about he's got a bicycle. Now he's got to be like a homer for the NWO. Is he going to be as funny? Like, I don't, I don't know. But now he's just walking to the ring with him. Like, I, it just, that's kind of how I felt about it. It's like, it just felt like you were just doing it to doing it and it didn't make any sense. And I just kind of, I remember this happening, and I remember when I was kind of already waning anyways and what was going on in WCW, and I remember this kind of being a thing. Like, yep, I'm not going to watch this shit for two more weeks. I'm just <laughs> going to watch WWF. So you did that. I'm going to go see what old Stone Cold Steve Austin's doing right now. How about that? What? I was watching this match last night, and Spencer walked in. She saw Dusty and goes, that man looks like mashed potatoes. <laughs> 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 and then just walked out of the room like that was fine. <laughs> Dude, uh, watching, you forget how fucking crazy some of these people look until you're like <laughs> fucked up on Delta 8 edibles and you're looking at the Hard Times promo and you're like, what is this human being made out of? <laughs> I feel you. I, I've, I've done this a lot. 
All right, so yeah, as a as a NWO member, Dusty just managed mostly Hall and Nash. Dusty's Hill run lasted uh, NWO run lasted until November thirtieth, nineteen ninety eight, an episode of Nitro where Dusty was a special guest referee for a match between Barry Windham and Dean Malenko. Uh, he had been appointed by Eric to obviously fuck over Dean, but Dusty swerved them all and DQ'd Barry Windham, and uh, this would lead to Eric Bischoff firing Dusty in kayfabe. Heading into the uh, 9-9 and 2000s, Dusty was going after Vince Russo's spot of creative backstage. He didn't get it, so Dusty was like, fuck this, I'm out. And in 2000, he left and went to ECW. In ECW, Dusty would mostly feud with the king of old school, Steve Carino. And a lot of people forget why this was was so popular. And when people think of Steve Carino, they think of him versus Dusty Rhodes in a bull rope match. The reason why this was so successful is because for like a year, maybe even longer, Steve Carino was always the guy that went out uh, coming out of intermission. The, the, the structure for ECW shows were you have four matches, you go to intermission, Tommy Dreamer's at the table, taking pictures, signing autographs, and then Steve Carino just gets in the ring and starts cutting a promo. And then all of a sudden, Tommy Dreamer starts taking exception to what Carino is saying, and then they have a match, and then we're in the second half of the show. Well, the things that Carino was talking about is about how all these wrestling legends are horrible and awful, and he tried to make it very specific. Like, if he was in Milwaukee, he'd be like, Milwaukee, remember when you used to think the Crusher and Bruiser were a big deal? Well, guess what? They were just a bunch of drunks, and he would just talk shit about whatever wrestling legends of old from that from that era because there's a lot of diehard hardcore fans that would have known a lot of those names so he's just bringing up all these old school names and talking shit about them in their home territory and home home places so he's just he's doing this at every house show they're they're putting it on tv all the time Gaudia for a long time says he's the new king of old school just bringing it up and and just talking about it and that's a shtick and that's a shtick that's a shtick you know, he'll have matches with Dreamer, have matches with Sebu or whoever. We'll take exception with something. But they were in Atlanta, and he starts talking shit about everybody again, talking shit about Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty appears. So here, all of these legends that he's brought up, and now he talks about one of them, and one of them walks in the fucking ring and takes exception to him and challenges him to a match. It's very slow, slowly cooked and brought to a boil, and then it happens, and then people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. It's one of those things like you didn't realize was a big deal until it happened. So people are wondering, like, oh, is this, this is the plan all along? But it was just one of those things that happened that they were in Atlanta. He said he'd be there. They did it. It worked out. It got a huge reaction, led to, into a bull rope match, and Steve Carino has always talked very favorably about Dusty Rhodes and how this angle with Dusty legitimized him. Not just ECW, but in the wrestling world. Because when Carino started doing this, he was wearing the singlet and he was skinny. He wasn't too far removed from Jim Cornette pitching him being four, five, six when they were doing the fake razor thing. Like, oh, well, he, he's the, the other one, two, three kid. He's four, five, six. Then he started dyeing his hair and he starts looking like a main event guy. And then after having his feud with Dusty, now 
Heyman sees him as a main event guy and somebody could hold the title. And then, of course, that legitimized him even more, which led him to be NWA champion, AWA champion, and then have multiple tours of Japan. It was the thing that really kicked off his career, and it wouldn't have happened without this feud with Dusty Rhodes. So Dusty Rhodes really launched Steve Carino in his career. And in this one little stop off in ECW, which, you know, you could say Dusty's selfish all you want, but he launched Steve Carino's career right here with this one feud. Following his ECW run, Dusty went back home for the last time on WCW Greed. On March 18, 2001, he would enter a NWA slash WCW ring for the final time teaming up with Dustin Rhodes to beat Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett. And after kind of just watching Dusty's whole career and, you know, doing research for this and how important Rick and Dusty were, I, I really liked this. Like, it was real, like, kind of touching and cool to me to just to see them have this one last dance, you know, in a WCW ring. Sure, WCW is not great at this point, but I felt like that was, like, a really special moment. It's that thing that we talked about few episodes ago that sometimes wrestling has an amazing way of tying its own story together sometimes unintentionally and then like a week after agreed vince killed wcw but up but up that's also a part of every single wrestling story <laughs> <laughs> and then vince came in and all <laughs> after wcw and ECW were bought by WWE. Dusty started his own promotion yet again, Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. Aside from his obvious backstage duties, Dusty would have matches. He tag teamed with fucking New Jack. He'd continue working with Steve Carino some. And while it's pretty short lived, this promotion did give jobs to people like Daphne, Scott Hall, Bobby Eaton, Glacier, the Wyndhams, and Public Enemy. Yeah, and for a while it was like one of the bigger. Things go on. If, it, if this would have came around now with streaming, it would have been like GCW. You know, it would have been like a very Southern version of that and would have been done tremendous business streaming wise. I mean, who wouldn't buy a stream just to see Dusty Rose probably do commentary or wrestle a match or cut promos in the middle of nowhere, Georgia? And fun fact, there was one Christmas where Dusty wanted to give out some really good Christmas gifts. And he called up my former employer and said, hey, if you want to come buy some uh, all my stuff, I want to have a good Christmas for my kids. I'll let you buy it all for real cheap. Just need it in cash. My former boss was like, sure. And it was a lot of TCW stuff. And for a long period of time in the office I worked at, we had chairs that had TCW written on the back of it. They were chairs that they brought to venues that needed chairs that didn't have chairs available. And instead of renting chairs every week, they just had a bunch of chairs on the ring truck. Dusty, too, also had old nitro mats, nitro canvases, a lot of other WCW signage, ring stuff that I don't know if he meant to have, but he definitely had and was using for TCW and various other things that were were picked up, just were all scooped up and at a warehouse and were carted off and I... Saw multiple chairs that were just said TCW on the back. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that those chairs were sitting right next to Dusty when Dusty came to the office that I used to work at to do a book signing, which was the first weekend I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was in the back learning how to edit, and I came around to the front to 
asked my boss at the time a question, and there's the American Dream, Dustin <laughs> Rhodes, signing books. He was the first like wrestling superstar I met at my former job. And I remember thinking to myself, whoa, like Dusty Rhodes just comes to this place? And I was still kind of an intern at the time, and I was like, man, I really want to work at this place because people like Dusty Rhodes just come in this place and are signing books. I, I took a picture with him. I, I don't. I don't remember what happened to it. It's on some memory card somewhere that's probably lost in time forever. But I did get a picture with Dusty, and I don't know where it is. I never saw it. It never ended up on MySpace or anything like that. Kind of a bummer that way. But, yeah, small little little story about Dusty there. First superstar I met. And then, oddly enough, I was on a wrestling show with Magnum TA later on that night. So I met the uh, America's team the first weekend I was here in the Carolinas. It was all downhill from there, baby. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so in 03, Dusty also began working with TNA. And on top of his eventual creative duties, Dusty was again spreading that Dusty Rhodes spider web to a whole new generation, working with guys like Chris Harris, James Storm, Kit Cash, and AJ Styles. I think you both are a little more familiar with this like run of TNA than I am. How you feel about Dusty and TNA? Saying all kinds of weird shit in the back of a pickup truck. They, <laughs> they'd always do some sort of vignette or promo thing where he's in the back of the pickup truck and just saying the weirdest off-color stuff he possibly can. It was weird. It was odd. It was also very Dusty at the time. Sometimes you have Tracy Brooks and like a cowgirl type outfit or a farm girl type outfit sitting next to him. Yeah, it was really weird and odd, but they would do some fun stuff with him from time to time. So it was always memorable, but it was it was unique to say the least. This was a little bit before my time watching TNA, but I've been able to go back and like watch a little bit of this. And it's awesome to see somebody that's been around that long still chugging along and like it's a precursor to what's about to come with uh, going back to WWE but able to work with and share his knowledge with these guys who started 30 years after he did during his time in TNA Dusty was also making stops in other companies including the brand new Ring of Honor showing up April 12th 03 in 2004 Dusty Rhodes would be part of the gathering of the juggalos where he uh, took on Rude Boy. 0405-ish Dusty's contract with TNA expired, so it was off to the modernized version of the territories that the kids call the Indies. And the Indies of this time, he, he hit the market at like the perfect time. I think we've talked about this on the Bobby Eaton episode, that there was a time where there was this nostalgia for 80s wrestling. I don't know if it was because the Jack-specific classic figures or the DVD sets that were coming out from WWE, but there was this need to see Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express one more time. And Tony Hutter capitalized on it. And one of his biggest houses at the time was Dusty Rhodes versus Abdul the Butcher with Mick Foley as a special guest referee. Dusty was doing all kinds of hardcore stuff. Like then there was like the king of hardcore with Abdullah, Dusty, Kevin Sullivan... And gosh, there was somebody else that was like, it was like a four way thing where they all just got bloody and were hitting each other with stuff. But Tony Hunter was smart enough to book Dusty against Tully 
one more time. And, and Tully at that time still still in very, very decent shape and could still put on a very good match. And of course, Tully too know that he was there because Dusty knew that Tully would give him a good match. So Tully wants to prove, oh yeah, I can give you a, a great match. And then you also had matches with Terry Funk versus Dusty Rhodes and the promos that they would cut. And we used to play the Dusty Rhodes promo on Terry Funk all the time <laughs> where he, Dusty ended with saying, I'm an ethanol trither. I'm an ethanol trither. And just the war words that they would go back and forth with. And it was cool for someone like me who just moved to the Carolinas to know that I was going to be editing footage of brand new footage of Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, Tully Blanchard for the company that I worked for at the time. And like, it was cool. It was pretty awesome to see and be a part of that and experience that and see these guys kind of on like maybe the last really great run of their career. Like this is kind of like a last little couple of miles on their career. And I got to see that when I first moved here and it was pretty awesome and great. And the genius that I saw between Terry Funk and Dusty and the great matches with Tully and Dusty, how big of a crowds they drew was pretty, pretty amazing. So I was really neat to see. By 05, Dusty was off the indie grind and had signed a WWE Legends contract in September, and they also gave him a spot on the creative team. Dusty would make a good bit of on-screen appearances and would even get back in the ring in 06 when he was part of uh, Team WWE Legends, led by Ric Flair taking on the Spirit Squad at 06's Survivor Series, getting a win there. This is about the time I was watching, so that was probably <laughs> my first Dusty Rhodes match. Oh, God. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you, Tyler. We're, we're about, you know, five minutes away from the end of this episode. Take it away <laughs> on what you remember of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, we've done two parts now. You've been utterly useless on your wrestling knowledge. So this is, this is what we waited for you to take over on is this, this last little mile right here. So, Tyler, take it away. All right, this old man <laughs> had a couple of matches, and one of them, uh, his pants almost fell down. And then he retired. Thank you, Tyler. No problem. <laughs> Dusty was obviously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 07. And Dusty did a good bit of inducting others. He uh, put Eddie Graham in, the Funks, the Road Warriors, and the Four Horsemen. A few weeks before 07's Great American Bash, Dusty was in a little feud with Randy Orton. Randy beat Dusty in a Texas bull rope match after uh, hitting him with a cowbell. So, And this would uh, be Dusty's, more or less, Dusty's last match, retiring at the age of 61 after 40 years in pro wrestling. He would do sporadic on-screen appearances. He would become creative and a leader for NXT. On July 9th, 2010, Dusty had a like a one-off match at an FCW show where he teamed up with Cody and Goldust, which that's super cool, beating the team of Kalen Croft, the Man Scout Kurt Hawkins, and Trent Beretta in a six-man tag match. He would, again, retire after this. And he was very helpful to a lot of people in the developmental program of WWE. Like, there's a lot of people at my job that speak very highly of Dusty and what he did for them 
very early on in their career and looked out for them and like hey these guys are good and push for good wrestlers good talented wrestlers wrestlers with personality special spark that nobody else saw there's a lot of talent that dusty helped along the way and fostered i've heard more good stories of dusty doing things for people and helping careers during this time than probably the majority of his wrestling career that he was out there active doing his thing this time it was purely to give back and he gave back to a tremendous amount of really good amazing talented people and vince always respected his opinion too i mean even the fact that there's always this great story of when dusty was working for tna WWE had a bull rope match and Vince told Bruce Pritchard to call Dusty for a finish because he's the only one that knew how to finish a bull rope match properly. Like that's how much respect Vince had for Dusty's opinion. So I'm sure when Dusty's like, hey, you got this kid in developmental, you got to bring him up. He's got some abilities, good talker. He just needs some, needs some polish, baby. Needs, needs some stardust sprinkled on him. That's what he needs. He, he did a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of good for wrestling during this time. And I wish this, this was a bit more heralded, especially the people who like to loudly speak about the selfishness and jealousy and arrogance of Dusty Rhodes. And talk about this time where he would pull young talent aside and give him a little bit of instruction. Probably also tell how, tell him how big of a star he was in Florida. But <laughs> when, when I guess when you were that big, it's kind of hard not to sweep that under the rug. During his later years, Dusty suffered from kidney disease. By 2015, it was really taking a toll on him. I mean, I don't know if you remember some of the last images of Dusty. He's so thin, and uh, you know he's he's clearly sick. And that takes us to June 10th, 2015, when paramedics responded to Dusty's home in Orlando, getting a report that he had fallen. Dusty would pass away the following day at the age of 69, and the world said goodbye to quite possibly the most important person to ever be part of professional wrestling. So final thoughts on the great Dusty Rhodes. Like I said at the beginning of the first episode, I feel a connection to Dusty through my grandpa, knowing that my grandpa used to watch him on Championship Wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley uh, on commentary. That was two things my, my grandpa would always talk about. He's not He was not a wrestling historian. He just, back in the 70s, he loved watching it, and he would bring up two names to me all the time. That was Gordon Soley, who would call the matches, and Dusty Rhodes. and I love that Dusty's career lasted so long that I was able to have a little bit of a connection with him watching some of his older stuff, but also through his his sons, Goldust and Cody, I feel like I was able to have a connection with my grandpa through that and also seeing all the amazing things that Dusty's career lasted for fucking ever. That is amazing that he came in before any type of televised anything and made it all the way through the 80s, the wrestling boom, the 90s with the NWO and WCW, all the way to the current system that we have today. He had a part in all of it. And that is truly amazing. And Dusty Rhodes, like you said, Nick, one of the most important people in the history of wrestling. 
Yeah, there is no corner of pro wrestling that isn't touched by Dusty Rhodes. Even in our small little world of Tim Bell Pod, think of every fucking time we've brought up Dusty Rhodes. Everything that's ever provoked a Dusty Rhodes impression. It's at least every other episode. And then from Dusty to Dustin to Cody, it's impossible to talk about any era of pro wrestling without mentioning a Rhodes. So that legacy is just like dominant. You know, Dusty is an all-time personality. He's an all-time mic worker. He's an all-time creative and booker. His influence, his his ideas, his matches, it's still felt, it's still used by every fucking promotion in the world today. The story of pro wrestling is impossibly different without Dusty Rhodes. It may not even be here without his work. And again, from Tootsmont to the next undrafted NFL player the Performance Center pumps out to be a sports entertainer. Dusty is the glue that patches them all together. Sure, Vince won the war, Hogan and Austin had higher peaks, but there is no one more important to this industry than the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was the first wrestling celebrity superstar that I met when I worked at my former job that made me want to stay there and continue to work there. And I had that job for 16 years. And if I don't meet Dusty Rhodes, like right out of the gate in that office, do I give it a thought of staying to work there and have the life that I have? You know, then you think about Dusty, the way that he going, trying to go toe to toe with Vince McMahon and, and battling with him in WCW and had a rebellious spirit about, you know, you run your own company and create your own business. Does that rebellious spirit get passed down to Cody and then, Cody's integral at starting the ball rolling for AEW to be a thing, which now gives me my place of employment. So you guys talk about wrestling history. Well, Dusty Rhodes has touched a piece of my life and things that are really good in it and things that were really good in it. Without him, the places where I was able to have a job in professional wrestling and the opportunities that to work at those places wouldn't exist without Dusty Rhodes. And, you know, I, like I said, I have been in many a hotel rooms recording many a shoot interviews where they want to just trash Dusty. And, you know, you, you, want, you want to be that person, but as I've gotten to be an older man and appreciated things more and kind of not been so full of angst in whatever I watch or consume or anything that I, I take into my life, you can sit back and appreciate more Dusty Rhodes as as an older man and appreciate the emotion. And you can see the genuineness in there, the, the sprinkle of, of hope and possibility of the American dream being true for everybody. He believed it for himself, very much so, because he had a very big ego. But because he believed in it so much, it made you believe that if you could just believe in it as half as much as he does, as he does for himself, if you do that for half as much for yourself, you can be tremendously successful. So he's touched my life, he's affected my life, and he's affected everybody that's ever seen him. Tremendous, definitely one of the best, definitely deserves to be the main event of this season two of 10 Bell Pod. All right, that is a wrap for season two of Tim Bell Pod and the great Dusty Rhodes. Man, thank you guys for coming back and supporting us and 
supporting us on Patreon, social media, just it's it, it feels nice every time you guys reach out. I I always try to favorite or retweet it or even reply back sometimes, but literally every time it, it's it's really cool. You guys have anything? Yeah, I just want to say thank you guys for uh, letting me be a part of this. And uh, don't forget, it's not over. You just keep liking and uh, subscribing to the podcast feed and give us five stars and great reviews. And tweet at the Tin Bell Pod social medias and tell Nick how great of a job he's doing with all this. <laughs> and uh, I'm really happy to have been a part of this. Love to come back for season three if you guys want to renew my contract. <laughs> it's been so much fun. Like Nick says, like seeing people comment and share things, and I'm very happy to be a part of this. And uh, let's do it again on season three. Well, if you pass your quiz for season three, <laughs> we'd love to have you back, Tyler. Shit, um, all right, but of course, that may be probably a Patreon bonus, which we will probably we will be keeping up with in in the off seasons uh, the best we possibly can. We've already had discussions before we got on the microphone about season three and what we're going to do, so that that is coming. And we're going to be working tirelessly. And when I say we work tirelessly, uh, me and Tyler will do jack shit while Nick will <laughs> murder himself over the script, much like he did this script and all the scripts of season two. I know him well enough that he's already done pre-planning, pre-outlines for everything in season three already. And uh, he will probably be working on the main event for season three mere hours after the last episode is added on this one. So big kudos to Nick. So give him as much love as you possibly can on the Tembo pod social medias. Without him, there is no season two. There is no Tembo pod. There is no nothing. But most importantly, without you guys, there is no nothing. And, you know, everybody that, that followed us again after the long hiatus and to come back, uh, we can't thank you guys enough. You just being here is really warmed our hearts. But if you guys could do us a huge solid and let everybody know that we're back, everybody from before, the more people that know about this, the better. And this is the perfect time. Let everybody know how great season two was and let them let them know that season three is coming out very, very soon. More information about that coming soon. So that way, when we come to season three, we get everybody back. We get back everybody back on board. We're at full strength and we can keep this 10 bell pod train moving down the road and get to bigger and better opportunities maybe live shows in the future maybe a multitude of different things maybe you know shorter gaps in between the seasons as well but it's all going to take as many people listening as possible to make things more affordable and available and possible for everything we want to do and you guys have just done a tremendous job of making sure that we we've been able to do this season so thank you each and one of you and you know keep the support going get everybody else on board for season three and let's just blow it up in season three because i think we've had a very good season two i've been extremely happy with everything um, other than the, the disappointment of that one of the people that I talk to every time we do this doesn't know who Robert Gibson is. That's the only disappointment that I've had during this entire time. And Tyler's the only person who's let me down. You the fans have not. So thank you very much. I uh, w- will never happen again, Jay. <laughs> All right. We will uh, see you in a couple months, you, you fucking marks. Thanks, Robert Gibson. <laughs>